Andrei Kanderman, and welcome to the Alec Domaji Chronicles. Sun went down over my hometown. The night became so still. Going north on a weekend run. A young man I knew. No more whispering in our mind. I am Alec Domaji. And welcome no to the Alec Domaji Chronicles. There will be no more whispering. There will be no more lies. We will tell the truth. Stop, stop it. We'll stop it. One less loved one at Christmas. One less loved one on birthdays. Uh, welcome to the Alec Domaji Chronicles. I am Alec Domaji. I'm known as Jadbagal in my tribal tongue. I'm from the Gamarangi skin group of the Wielia and Mumbalia clans of the Waini, Garo and Gungala tribes of the lower Gulf of Carpentaria here in Queensland, uh, Australia, wherever you are, if you're listening in around the world, uh, internationally over to Turtle Island, North and uh, South America and everybody up in Canada, USA. Um, big love to you all. To my family over in uh, on the, the land of the long white cloud as well, uh, Aotearoa. I wish I could say that properly, but <laughs> New Zealand, if you don't know what I'm talking about. My uh, tippy and my family over there, my Maori from Mobile, I send my love to you all. I tell you what, this is going to be a very difficult episode for me to get through. I'm going to call this one Uncles. It is 11 o'clock at night. It's Tuesday the... Uh, 15th of November, 15th of November, 2023. I want to, I want to date this time and I want to, I want to, I want to, the time, I want to put the time down. It's, it's 11 a.m. Sorry, 11 p.m. 11 p.m. at night. Um, I'm packing. I'm getting ready for a long travel tomorrow, a long journey. My family and I are traveling. We're going to be driving up to Normanton for the burial of my uncle, Jonathan Wayne Dumaji. John Wayne Dumaji, he was named after the great American actor at the time. Obviously, we all didn't know what a uh, bigot and racist John Wayne or uh, Marion Morrison, as his real name is, is actually. But uh, my uncle was named, I believe, after him. Jonathan Wayne Dumaji will be buried on Saturday, the 19th of November. He died of a massive heart attack a couple of weeks ago, actually a couple of months back now, back in June, uh, almost uh, three weeks after the death of his older sister, his elder sister, Estelle George, or old mum, who you would have heard a couple of times here on my podcast series in series one. Um, it's been a sad time for my family. The last three years has been very emotional, very um, cruel uh, this world certainly can be beautiful, but it can be cruel as well. And um, my family has taken a lot of hits over the last few years. And uh, I gotta, I gotta talk about my uncle, my uncle Jonathan Wayne Dumaji, the second eldest child of Stanley and Nina Dumaji. Stanley Dumaji, my old grandfather. Big warrior, big lawman, ceremony man from the Ganglid and Garo people. Was born from Rosie Dumaji and old Ned Dumaji, old Flying Fox, old Balanga. The Balanga, the Flying Fox man from the Garo people out in the Northern Territory. Stanley Dumaji was born under a Giriga tree out at the old Dumaji mission on Ganglid land out near the coast where the current Aboriginal land claim on native title that runs over the Ganglita Garawa um, native title over the uh, the lower Gulf country in that little shoe, the little, sh- little horseshoe that you see up there when you come from the Northern Territory and Queensland border. So my grandfather Stanley, um, his eldest daughter was Estelle George, and old mum, you would have been following her journey here on the podcast or on my social media, whether you follow me under my Instagram page under my tribal name, Judd Bagala, spelled J-A-R-R-B-I-K-G-A-L-A, Judd Bagala. Or on my Twitter page, you'll follow me on my Twitter under Alec Dumaji, A-L-E-C-D-O-O-M-A-D-G-E-E. If you haven't already started following me, please follow and 
share my podcast uh, far and wide because the more the truth gets out, the more the message gets out. No more whispering from me. Um, I've got one less loved one at Christmas this year, one less loved one at birthdays. Actually, two this year. Two of the elders of my family. When people two years ago in 2020 started, uh, I guess, jumping up on, on, on social media, but up in the media on national television, whether it's your mainstream television or Aboriginal television, and started talking about protecting your community and saving Nan, protecting your Nan and protecting your elders, talking about, you know, this worldwide pandemic that was going on and that we needed to all get out and, you know, get our jabs and look after our mob. No one really thought, no one questioned the rhetoric of the powers that be. No one questioned these people that forced upon our people something that had never been done before. I did, and I, I, and I still will. And I look at the evidence of the last two years, and I say that, and I'll say this out loud, I am so proud of myself and my family for standing up to the tyranny that was forced upon our people. I'm very honoured that I listened to my ancestors, that I listened to my own conscience and my common sense that told me that this something wasn't right. So tomorrow I will jump in my car with my family and I will take the journey to go and bury my uncle. And we're going to bury him in a town called Normanton, which is not our hometown, Dumaji, which is named after our family, named in honour of my grandfather, Stanley Dumaji, who walked from old Dumaji back in the 1930s, around where the old mission used to be, to, to go into where the Nicholson River is today, him and a guy called Big Arthur and also another fellow called Joe Evans. They found the Nicholson River water. They followed the dingo song lines into the Nicholson River areas today so that the missionaries, the brethren church that came out to civilize us savages, were able to access clean drinking water because they couldn't find water on the coast like our mob, our Aboriginal mob. We knew how to find water. Our old people knew how to dig wells, even dig a soak out on the beach and fresh water would come out. The missionaries, they couldn't hack the br- our, our brackish water or couldn't really live in the hardships that our mob did. Tomorrow I will go and pay my respects to my uncle. My only uncle, by the way. My grandparents, I believe they had two or three other children before old mum. So one of them was named William that you would have heard my mother speak about when in uh, the first episode of this new series of series two, you would have heard my mum speak about that I was named after her older brother, William, and also her uncle, William, Marundu Willie Dumaji. I'm very honoured with that. I'm, I'm very honoured that I, I carry those names. So my grandparents, Stanley and Nina, had Estelle George, old mum, she was Estelle Dumaji. She died back in the first week of July this year. And um, she's been, she was battling liver cancer for the last couple of years. And uh, it took a hold of her. And, and she crossed over into the Great Dreaming back in early July. It was a very sad time for our family because she was the elder in our community, in our family, and she was old mum. She was a, a grandma to many grandchildren, a mother to many sons and daughters and auntie. Um, she was just, she was an amazing lady. But she was a big sister to my uncle, Jonathan Dumaji. She was a big sister to my mother, who's the third child in the line. And then lastly, there's mum Eunice, who's the baby of the family. So there's old mum. There was Uncle Jonathan, John Wayne Dumaji, my mother, Noreen Dumaji, Noreen George now, and the youngest is Eunice Dumaji, Eunice Diamond. She goes as from a married name. We only had one uncle in our family, um, in the Dumaji side for our mob, uh, just the one uncle, Uncle Jonathan. Uncle Jonathan has never married. He um, never had any children that I know of anyway. And I, I'm, I hope somewhere out there that he does have a child, and, and you reach out to us. We would love to meet you. If, if Uncle Jonathan ever had a child, if there's anyone that's listen, listening to this podcast right now, anywhere around where my uncle used to work, whether it's in Normanton, whether it's up at Kamonyama, whether it's on any of the cattle properties that he'd worked at over the years, if for some reason or another that he had a child out there somewhere, I would love to meet my cousin. I would love to meet you because... As far as I know, in the 46 years of my life, 
I've never never seen any of my uncle's children. I don't know if he's had children. I know that he's he had adopted children. He did he did live with a lady in Dumaji for a while, Artie Sesley, Artie Sesley uh, Lorraine, and and I know that he helped uh, raise one of her daughters, um, and and was a kind of a father figure to her, and they had a relationship for you know almost ten years, I believe, before they separated. But I don't think Uncle Jonathan ever had any kids of his own. Um, which brings me to a point I want to really want to make right now, which is in the bloodlines from my grandfather, Stanley Dumaji or Bingadui or Stanley, I am the only grandchild or the bloodline from Stanley that carries the Dumaji name. Out of his three daughters, I'm the only one that actually carries his surname, Dumaji. Estelle George married. Her two sons, Thomas George and Terence George, are named after her husband, obviously old dad, Tommy George. Then my mother gave birth to me, to a white man. So when I was born, I was given mum's maiden name. So I was under her name, Dumaji. And she named me after her two dads, Murundu Willie Dumaji and Stanley Dumaji. So my official white man name is William Stanley Dumaji. Alec came along later from an uncle after granddad Murundu Willie died in 1989. And you'll, you'll know that if you've listened to my first uh, podcast series, you'll, you'll know the story behind that. Then Uncle Jonathan, his only son, well, Uncle Jonathan was second after mum, uh, old mum. So he was, there was old mum, Uncle Jonathan, then my mother. My mother was third in line and mum Eunice is the baby. Uncle Jonathan never had any kids. So... The bloodlines and the name, the Dumaji name, actually by default is on me. I'm the last one in the Stanley Dumaji bloodline that carries the Dumaji name, which is a big responsibility that I, I take on and, and I, I certainly honor that and respect that. But it was, it was, for me, it was heartbreaking to know that Uncle Jonathan never married, never had any kids, never had any sons to carry on his father's name. And like I said earlier, if there is a cousin out there somewhere, man, I'd love to meet you. We're going to be burying Uncle Jonathan on Saturday, the 19th of November in Normanton. And there's a, there's a very powerful reason why, why we're burying him in Normanton that I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you this story because I think it's important. And when I'm up there on country, I'm going to do a podcast from Normanton and I'm going to read my grandfather Stanley Dumaji's story from a book called Bagman Millionaires. And if you heard of this book, you should, should pick it up and read it and read Stanley Dumaji's story there. So the reason I guess Uncle Jonathan never married or never had any kids over the years is unbeknown to me. I got no idea. But I can tell you this much. He was an amazing uncle. He was someone that was well-respected in the community. He was a cattleman, from what I understand. In his younger days, he was known as a stockman or a, you know, worked on stations in and around the Dumaji region, the Gulf Country. He traveled far and wide in some of those cattle properties. And one of the stories that uh, old mum told me she spoke about how Uncle Jonathan, at the age of 10 or might have been younger, went out to a Kenobi Station to work with Pa Stanley, with Granddad Stanley, when he was very, very young. So he had a lot of experience working horse and cattle and working on properties, you know, big ranches around the Gulf Country. So he certainly was a working man. I was born in the 1970s and, you know, um, 1976, and I remember fondly Uncle Jonathan and I got to tell you some some childhood memories now, and this is the earliest one that I have. I'm going to try really hard not to not to get emotional or cry in this one. This is the earliest memory I have of my only uncle, Jonathan Wayne Dumaji. When I was about maybe three or four years old, my grandma Nina, his mother, used to have an old tin house. Now, for any of you people that never been to an Aboriginal community or an Aboriginal mission here in Australia, the missionaries or the government of the day built us these corrugated iron tin houses. They were just a steel frame with corrugated iron nailed to them or drilled into them, and there was a cement floor, and that was the house. That was it. So there was hot in summer, absolutely scorching, you know, sweltering. This was like a dog box hot and then during winter and we don't have much of a winter up there but it still gets cold 
It was freezing, absolutely freezing in these little tin, you know, dog houses. And, and most of them just had the two rooms and then in the back there was like this cast iron stove. And this was, this was the house, my first house that I grew up in, in Dumajin. This was my grandma's place, my nana nina. And I remember she also had her brother, uh, Major Walden or Paoloni, living at this house as well. And a couple of his kids, because his wife had died of tuberculosis years ago. Um, and it was such a big family. We had family everywhere. Um, you know, probably about 10 or 15 people living in this house. But this is one of the earliest memories of my Uncle Jonathan. I remember my nana cooked up a big uh, chicken curry stew. And we were all sitting around the campfire. You know, mutton, We cooked around a campfire. That's how I grew, I grew up cooking food on a campfire out in the open, out in the front yard. And it would have been about eight o'clock or whatever. And, you know, there's no no sealed roads back in those days. This would have been the late 70s, early 80s. And we're sitting around the campfire and I'm and, and we're eating chicken. And and I must have swallowed a chicken bone. Well, I'm not must, I did. I swallowed a chicken bone and I started choking on the chicken. I think it might have been the leg bone or something, or might have been the wing. I don't know. I was only a little far. And I started choking on this chicken bone and I started I couldn't I couldn't breathe and Nana started hitting me on the back and trying to get this chicken bone from out of my throat and you know, patting my back, boom, boom, boom. And I, I was spluttering and I was choking and I was, I was fighting the air and I started, I started, I, I almost, like I think they were scared that I was going to lose, that I was going to die. And my uncle Jonathan, John Wayne Dumaji, my big strong uncle, jumped up and picked me up and threw me over his shoulder. And from where we were living, we had our house, our corrugated iron house was at right at the top, right where well, today in Dumaji, if you see where the old people's houses, where the old people, the, the retirement village, you might call it, where all our old people live which is right beside where the church is, that's where my Nana's place was. We were right at the top of the village. We were literally right at the top. And from where we were, you could see the hospital, the community hospital that was built by the missionaries. So my uncle picked me up, threw me over his shoulder and started running up the, up the, street, up the, up the road, which was back then made of gravel. It was just, you know, this this red gravel road, dirt, red dirt road. And he's running and he's, he's you know, for all he can, he's, he's flying up the road. And as he's running, I'm coughing and spluttering over his shoulder. And I think due to the, 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 the excitement or due to his running and the bumping, he must have dislodged the chicken bone from out of my throat. And just before he got to the just before he got to the gates of the hospital, I, I saw I was crying. I said, hey, Uncle, Uncle Wayne, Uncle Wayne, hey, stop, Uncle Jonathan, Uncle Jonathan, stop. I'm okay now. And he pulled me down and looked at me. He said, what? I said, I said, I'm okay now. And he looked at me and said, what? You scared the living shit out of me and smacked me really, really hard and chucked me on his shoulder and started. And I'm crying and happy and sobbing and he's happy and sobbing and crying. and something. But then he turned around and walked back down to where Nana and them was waiting for us at the fire camp. And had a laugh all about it, but that was—that's my earliest memory of this man that I, you know, was my hero of, you know, my uncle Jonathan Wayne Dumaji, John Wayne Dumaji, that we're, we're laying to rest on Saturday the nineteenth. Um, from there, my memories of him, you know, grow more bigger and more. F- I, I, he was just—he was this man that sort of was in my life that I knew I could rely on. He was someone that. Uh, I knew he was always going to be around. He was a Dumaji like me, so we had that connection of being the Dumajis. And and he was just such a powerful man. He was he was a big, strong man. I remember when he was younger, he was he was quite a you know a solid man, and a lot of people in Dumaji knew him as that. Also, a very good fighter. He used to be a pretty good street fighter, from what I understand. Never never took a backward step from any street fights, and could hold his own in a street fight as well. And um, didn't mind an argument. Didn't didn't mind an argument at all. He was he was very grumpy at times, and certainly was a discipline. Uh, he, he disciplined us quite a bit, especially me. Um, he was he was very staunch like that. In, in fact, in his later years, he he earned the um, earned the nickname from all his grandchildren and even us nephews. He earned the nickname Grumpy because he was always grumpy and angry and always you know um, didn't mind giving cheek to anyone. So he, he he became Uncle Grumpy, and everyone knew him as Pa Grumpy or Uncle Grumpy. Now, in the early 80s, as I said in one of my earlier podcasts, my parents, my, my stepfather, Don George, and my mother and, and, and you know, old mom and her husband, Tommy George, they walked off Dumaji and went to live on their tribal lands on the Wai and Yigarabal Land Trust and Fort Philandrites in the early 80s, which they won. 
And I remember my uncle, Jonathan, coming out there and living amongst us as well. And he, he was a working man and, it, you know, he helped build the yards out there and he helped build the fence lines that we were building. And I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot about life from him. I learned a lot about music. He loved music. He'd always have a little cassette deck around and he'd always play his old music. I got to tell you this story. I, I, I first heard... Uh, I guess, cheeky country music for my Uncle John. He used to play Conway Twitty music. And I'm, I'm, I'm not just talking Conway Twitty like Hollow Old Dollar and all that stuff, but songs like I'd Love to Lay You Down and, you know, um, the cheeky songs that Conway did with Loretta Lynn. There was this one song, and I swear, I swear that when I was younger, I, the, visu- the visuals I got from the songs was, you know, pretty R-rated, but there's this song called Spiders and Snakes that... Conway Twitty sings with Loretta Lee. I don't like spiders and snakes, and that ain't what it takes. Love me. Bow, 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 bow. When I was younger, my Uncle Jonathan used to play that song over and over, and I, I thought it was the naughtiest and rudest song I've ever heard. And probably my first kind of real, <laughs> you know, as a kid, imagining sex, I guess, and hearing that song kind of today, even today, I was playing it recently. When I was out bush, I, I, I downloaded a heap of old Conway songs to think about my uncle again while I was at it on the on the land trust recently, out on the wine, you got a land trust with my brothers and, and with my son Bailey. And some of the music brought back so much memories of Uncle Jonathan when I was younger, him playing his old cassette deck and he had his, had his little cassette, you know, Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn cassettes. And he used to play all those songs and, and that was part of my childhood growing up. And then I remember another artist he introduced me to as a kid was Kenny Rogers, songs like Evening Star and Buried Treasure, you know, around the time when um, Islands in the Stream came out and, and, and the Bee Gees, the, the Gibb brothers, were writing songs specifically for Kenny Rogers. There was a period in the middle 80s, like 84 or whatever, when, you know, they were writing these pop songs for Kenny Rogers and they were becoming pretty pretty popular songs. And then I remember he trotted out a guy called John Fogarty and an album called Centerfield. I think it was a Centerfield album. And every single track on that album, he played over and over and over and over. And this was all out on the land claim. This is all in the land trust. We had no access to, you know, um, videos and DVDs and movies. This was at Bush. We were in, you know, on the wine, you got a land trust at Dry Creek, which is Gurumburu and, and Fish River just growing up with our family and and this my uncle this one man had this access you know he'd go into town with his money and he'd, he'd, he'd obviously buy himself a tape deck and 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 batteries and he'd buy these cassettes the latest albums you know and i remember when john fogarty centerfield album came out you know old man down the road and you know i saw it on tv the amount of times he played that song you know rock and roll girls and of course the 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 the, the um the title track you know centerfield put me in coach I'm ready to play today. Oh man! And if I listened to, I saw it on TV now. It, it, it the 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 words to it would make more sense to me because you know, um, I know it's true, oh so true. Cause I saw it on TV. Singing about the propaganda that people go through. Singing about the propaganda that uh, media does to you to change your mind, just like they've done over the last two years, pushing something on us that wasn't right for our bodies, wasn't right for our people, and certainly is still to this day, they're, they're, they're lying about it and they're covering it up. So to me, you know, Uncle Jonathan was awake to this stuff at a long, long time ago, and I remember listening to the Centerfield album with him, and he'd play it in the car, he'd play it while he was working. Us kids, us kids would sit around and drum, like we'd pretend that we're drumming or playing the guitar or singing, you know, all the songs off the Centerfield album, and he'd make fun of us, you know, he'd it, it always, my nickname as a kid was Wongy. And it's the first time I've actually mentioned it on here, but it, that's, that was it, Wongy. And he was one of the ones that called me that name. Look at this, look at this silly bastard Wongy over here pretending that he's drumming and making it make fun of us and, and joke. Um, that, you know, so some of the memories growing up with him and just being around him uh, was just amazing. I mean, two other memories that really, really stand out. Here's he one that really, really stood out to me. Around the time when I remember him playing the old Conway Twitty stuff and Loretta Lynn stuff and that, and up, uh, probably even John Fogarty, he bought a silver panel van, a silver panel, not just any panel van, but a Sandman, a Holden Sandman. Now, for 
anyone who's an Aboriginal in an Aboriginal community at this period in time, in the early 80s, to be able to buy a vehicle like that was a big deal. So for an Aboriginal man to own a, a Sandman, a silver one at that, at that as well, a V8, a V8 silver Sandman panel van, and it was like the coolest car in Doomagee, if not the Gulf, the whole Gulf of Carpentaria. And my uncle Jonathan Doomagee owned this car. And I look at Sandmans now, you know, and they're very rare. They're collector's items. My neighbor, actually, my, my neighbor where I live now has one. He has a green one. And they're worth quite a bit of money. And I was telling him this story the other day about how my uncle Jonathan had this Sandman. And we used to, us kids, myself, my, my brother Terence George and Ty Thomas George, we used to love standing up in the front seat and he'd cruise around Dumage and he'd play his music really loud. It was just so cool to be an Uncle Jonathan Sandman. I was actually with him on a drive around the streets of Dumage one day. Now, unknown to me, they had some trouble with the fuel tank. And this is one of my early memories as a kid with Uncle Jonathan. And the fuel tank was leaking. And apparently him and one of my cousins, Melly Gilbert, they, they pulled the fuel tank out and they cleaned it and they put it back, put it back in, but they didn't tighten the, the, uh, one of the hoses properly. So there was fuel leaking there. Now in the panel van, in the Sandman with the extractors and the exhaust and the, <laughs> the big V8 sound, they'd often chuck sparks out or flames or whatever. I don't know. You know, I was a kid and he was driving around the streets of Dumaji with Sandman in his panel van, the silver. We used to call it the silver bullet, the silver bullet, and um, actually we, we called it silver wing, and we called it silver wing because of the Merle Haggard song. That's where I first heard Merle Haggard as well with Uncle Jonathan. Silver wings shining in the sunlight, roaring angel man. That's why. I, that's why I heard it. I first heard it in this car. We called it Silver Wing because we were so fast. We were, all us kids always wanted to be in it. Anyway, we're driving around the streets of Dumaji. Might have been about eighty three or eighty four. I can't remember exact what year it was. I'm sure someone will remind me when I go up home and I'll be at his funeral. I'm going to tell this story at his funeral. And um, and a spark from the motor lit hit the fuel tank where the fuel was leaking and it caught on fire in the streets. The, the vehicle literally caught on fire. And all I can remember is Uncle Jonathan grabbing me out of the car, pulling me out, and I think there was a gun in there as well. We, I, we used to carry 22 uh, rifles around to shoot turkeys and kangaroos and emus and whatnot to eat, and, and jerked me out of the car. And it happened right out front of Auntie Gwen Baker's house and her husband, uh, old David Baker. And it just lit up on fire, and they couldn't stop the fire. And I remember standing there crying, watching the silver wings, this deadly Holden Sandman panel van burning in front of me, my uncle's pride and joy. You know, even I probably got his tapes in there as well, his Centerfield album with John Fogarty and his Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn cassettes. And, man, it was a a powerful, you know, thing to to, – it was one of those memories that just stuck with me all my life. And I remember Auntie Gwen and – Uncle David Baker trying to, you know, they had a hose and they were trying to trying to um, uh, wet the car. To, and on the other side was Sister Jean Fraser and her husband, Tro- uh, um, uh, Troy and Travis's father, Don Fraser. And they had hoses out trying to, you know, hout the flames on Uncle Wayne's, Uncle Jonathan, you know, John Wayne Dumaji's silver Sandman panel van. That was the end of it, though. That was, that was the, the panel van gone. It was done. Never again. <laughs> it was burnt to the ground. And there was just ashes there. I think the council removed it and put it down the dump. But that was a memory that stuck in my head for a long, long time. Uncle Jonathan lived with us out on the wine you get a land trust and helped my mum and dad build the place and helped them build gardens and chicken coops. And and uh, I remember in 1986, he drove the old, what was then known as the Fish River Toyota, a, a diesel Toyota Trayback Land Cruiser. And back in those days, you were allowed to sit on the back of these land cruisers. You could even go into town, into the cities. You can go in on the back of the on the land cruisers. That those laws have changed now, but back then you could. And I remember we had a cousin come up from Atherton Tablelands called Curtis Mitchell, and uh, his mother uh, used to live on a farm down there and had friends that had you know ducks and geese and 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 chickens and all sorts of stuff. So Uncle Jonathan went on this journey. He took the old the old uh, Toyota Land Cruiser, this Trayback. It was a, I think it was a gray, it might have been a gray one, I remember. There was two that 
dad, Tommy George, and mum, old mum, they had a grey one, which was known as a Fish River Toyota. And my mum and dad had a white one, which was known as the Dry Creek Toyota. So Uncle Jonathan drove this vehicle down to Atherton to pick up, you know, because we were building a, a, a society out there where we we're going to be independent and self-sufficient. We were going to, you know, become a little utopia, our own utopia, a little utopian town where we're going to produce our own meat, you know, have our own eggs, make our own vegetable gardens and stuff. And it was it was happening. This was the new way for us, going back onto our homelands and being self-sustainable and being self-reliant, you know, being independent from the from the missionaries in Adumajin, from the government and from you know the powers that be, we were going to be independent. This how this how it was started. My uncle Jonathan drove from there all the way to the Atherton Tablelands, and that's a long drive. And back in those days, it would have been hard for fuel and all the rest of it in a diesel vehicle. The Atherton Tablelands is not too far from Cairns. For my international listeners, Cairns is in North Queensland, a very famous tourist town. The Atherton Tablelands are just up from Cairns, up in the mountains. Uncle drove down there, he got a heap of chickens, got all these big roosters, got all these geese and ducks, um, and and also, you know, came back with some goodies for us kids as well that we didn't never seen before. So when he came back, he brought all these animals back out to Dry Creek and, and all these seeds and, you know, for pumpkin and potato and sweet potato and radish and like all, we, we literally built a garden in the garden, uh, in the riverbed at Dry Creek. And I still to this day look at it and go, how the hell, how did they, these old people do this? Because they did, they did it. And they built this, these chicken, you know, with chicken wires and stuff. And we had, we had eggs. We used to have fresh eggs out there. Even, even the geese, um, the goose and whatnot, they laid eggs that we ate. It was just mind blowing. Anyway, as kids, we ended up giving, giving them names, you know. Um, I remember we, you know, after we saw the movie Rocky, which I'm going to get to in a minute. We started calling one, you know, Ivan Drago, and the other one Rocky, and and then we you know Apollo Creed. We gave them all these silly little names. One was called Rooster Colburn after John Wayne, you know, John Wayne movie. So when Uncle Jonathan, you know, Uncle Jonathan Dumaji came back with with cousin Curtis Mitchell from Atherton, he also brought back, believe it or not, a VCR, an old video player, a, a, a VHS or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, video player and a big TV, a big color TV, and and. He brought only, I think it might have been four or five video cassettes. One was John Wayne, Rooster Colburn. Um, uh, I think it might have been True Grid as well on the same cassette. I think they were like doubled up. They were, they were recorded. The other one, believe it or not, was a recorded, someone recorded the 1984 Countdown Awards, which had a young up-and-coming artist called Michael Hutchins singing lead in this band called NXS. And he was on stage in a Dreiserbone coat, singing, I believe, a Johnny Cash, John and Johnny Cash and June Carter song called Jackson. I'm going to Jackson, going to mess around. And he was singing with a lady who I think was Jenny Morris, who's a famous Aussie female singer as well. But that year was that was the 1984 Countdown Awards, and NXS had just released, I think, their debut album which had a big hit on it called Burn For You. Um, and to this day, I still hear that song. And that's I, I remember seeing that that video out bush at Dry Creek going, oh my God, I want to be Michael Hutchins. I want to be that guy. And, and I fell in love with NXS from there. And that was out bush, a kid. I was eight or seven years old. I can't remember exactly how old I was. The other videos he had, believe it or not, was Cliff Richard and the Shadows live in concert over in at Wembley Stadium somewhere. Uh, and then... I think it might have been Man from Snowy River. I think the original Man from Snowy River, I first seen, you know, Tom Bernalson and the great and famous Uncle Jack Thompson. But these are some of the memories that I have, you know, growing up around my Uncle Jonathan. And over the years, you know, regardless of how grumpy he was or how sometimes how angry he'd get, he'd, he'd always show love in some shape, form or another. And... Over the last eight years, when I became the chairman of the Wanyi PBC, and I traveled quite a bit up home, he'd always say to me, you know, you know, Wangi, you know, my nephew, you need to come and sit with me and, and spend some time with me because I'm going to be dead soon and you'll, and you'll regret it and, and, you, and you won't see me again and you won't, we won't have time. And I got to say, I, I really do regret it because I didn't, get, I didn't go and spend much time. I, I, I feel very angry at myself and very disappointed that I didn't go and spend time with him when I was up there when I had the opportunity to do it and, and he was asking. You know, I had a really good childhood around him and, 
and he was a very strong, strong, powerful man. And you know, he, he was a disciplinarian as well. He, he disciplined me quite a bit, and always you know smacked me out of the ear to sort of knock me into line. But I remember some of the gentle things he did to protect me and look after me over the years. I remember one time out of Dry Creek we were, when I was young. It would have been 86 or one of those years, 85, 86. And, and I, he had the cold and I had the cold. We were both really sick and we was in flu. You know, back then, all, mum would just rub Vicks on us or give us a gum relief bath or something. And we had to stay sleek. You know, like we was, it was middle of the day and it was hot and I was sweating and I was sick. And I remember laying there beside him. And he coughed He coughed and spluttered and he, he spat this big chunk of, you know, uh, coal out of him and... It landed on my forehead. He said, oh, I'm sorry, my nephew. I'm so sorry. And he wiped it off my head. And I was sick and sweating. I couldn't move. all right, uncle. But, you know, we had we had this real special moments together because he knew that I was the only Dumaji grandson that came from his father, Stanley Dumaji. And I knew he had this deep sort of inner love for me and inner glow. You know, I knew that I knew that he, he had this special connection with me and a special bond because I was the only grandson that carried his dad's name, you know, and his name the Dumaji name, which I'm very honoured and proud to still be carrying. You know, move on years later, as I got older, um, in 1994, i got to tell this story because it's a very important story in the, in the, in the um, I guess, in the question of why we're burying my uncle, Jonathan Wayne Dumaji, in Normanton. So it comes back to this. In 1994... My grandfather, Stanley Dumaji. Actually, I should go back further. Back in the 50s or 60s, whenever it was, my grandfather was a very staunch warrior and he stood up against oppression. He stood up against the white mission managers and he fought against them and he, and he, he, called, he called them out on their racism and their treatment of our people over there. If you read the book Bagman Millionaires, which I'm going to read in my next episode when I'm up in Normanton burying my uncle, I'm going to read this the, the story that my grandfather Stanley tells in that book. It's called Bagman Millionaires, and I believe it was written by a guy called John Anderson. I'll, I'll dig it up and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you all about it and, and, and read this excerpt from it. But because my grandfather was a warrior and he stood up to the authority, the mission managers and the police decided to remove him from Dumbaji and remove him from his wife, Nina, and his young children. And they imprisoned him over at Normanton. They took him to Normanton, which was kind of the normal thing that the, the white authorities was doing to our people in those times. They were removing the troublemakers or the big mouths, oh, I guess you can say the Alec Dumaji of those days, and they're putting them at Sherberg, at Wurrabinda, at Palm Island. They were breaking the family unit up. They were breaking down the one thing that made us strong and that made us love each other was our family unit, our men and women, and they turned our men and women against each other. And they removed my grandfather, Stanley Dumaji, from his wife, Nina, and her children, and his family, and his connections, and his law, and his, and his culture, and his ceremony. And they put him over in Normanton. The police removed him and put him there, and they locked him up over there. And they said to him, this is your prison now, old man. You want to start trouble and be a big hero? This is, this is where you'll be in prison for the rest of your life. You're never, ever to return to Dumaji. And my grandfather started raking leaves as a prisoner around the streets of Normanton, eventually he convinced the, uh, the, the authority or the Aboriginal protectors there in Normanton to get him a job on one of the stations because he was a cattleman. He was a, he was a head stockman. He was, a, he was one of the best there was. And he, he found love over there with another lady, old Nana Doreen Sambo, and he created a life. He had two children with her and he helped her raise her children. And he created a life in Normanton. And he created this big persona. He was such an amazing man. You know, he was a character and everyone loved him. Everybody in Normanton, the Kutan and Kukach people, embraced my Gangalir and Garawa grandfather as their own. And he became Granddad Stan in Normanton. That's why I've got a lot of family and friends in Normanton. Because my granddad paved the way and laid a platform and a foundation for me to come in later and actually stand on his shoulder and the respect that he already created in that community. He never came home again. I mean, he came home now and then, you know, to visit family and, and whatnot, but he'd already now created a new life for himself in Normanton, my granddad. 
This story is important because in 1994, about two weeks before Christmas, all of us, all of us grandkids and my mum and old mum and mum Eunice and Uncle Jonathan, we all decided we were going to go and spend Christmas with him that year. So two weeks out, I turn up and, and I'm sitting at the front with him and he says to me, he goes, Wongy, that's my, my nickname if you haven't already heard, Wongy, listen, <clears throat> excuse me, if I ever die, which I'm going to die soon, or when I die, I think it was, you bury me here in Normanton. I don't want to be buried back in Dumaji. And I was like, why are you telling me this, Granny? Well, you carry my name. Your name, William Stanley Dumaji. So you're going to have the authority to say where I get buried. Now, I was only 18 at the time. I was only 18 years old. It was in 1994. Around the same time when we protested over at uh, the Lawn Hill National Park to take back the park. And I said, really, Granddad? I said, why don't you come home? Your, your older brother, Willie Dumaji, is there. Mother and Willie Dumaji back there. you you know, your big sister, Lizzie Daylight, you know, all your family back over there. So he goes, no, no, no. I want to be buried here in Normanton because I want the white man. I want the authorities that locked me up here and imprisoned me here in this so-called prison that they put me in to know that they never broke me. They never broke my spirit. They never broke my warrior spirit. They never, they never ever will break me. And he said, I made this place my home. Everybody here in this community in Normanton are my family. And they love and respect me and look up to me. And he says, so when you bury me, grandson, you bury me here in Normanton. And I thought, wow, what a warrior. What a powerful man. What a, you know, it just blew my mind that this man, even in his death, was going to go down giving the finger to the invaders and the foreigners that came to our land that brutalized our women and our children and our men. He was still going to be going, you know, your, you and your system still didn't break my spirit and break my soul. You, 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 you tried to bury me, but you didn't know that I was a seed and I grew here in Normanton and created a home for my family. So I want to send out some love to all my Normanton family. I'll be seeing you more very, very soon, and I can't wait to come up here and sit on country with you, Morbin, bury my uncle in Normanton. So the reason we're burying my uncle Jonathan Wayne Dumaji in Normanton beside his father, my granddad, is because he asked for that as well because he spent a lot of time over there with his friends, the Burns family over there. He also found love over there, I believe. He had a lady that he was in a relationship for a long, long time over in Normanton, which I'm hoping to see when I'm up there. But he had a lot of family, and he often visited his sister, my youngest auntie, Auntie Susan Sambo, from Granddad's second marriage, and she's still there in Normanton. And he'd spend Christmas over there and holidays, and he's got a lot of friends and family in Normandon, so I'm hoping they all turn up to honour him and pay their last respects to him on the 19th of November when we bury him and put him down. So this is a story about my uncle, my uncle Jonathan Wayne Dumaji, who meant a lot to me. And if any of you out there that follow me on my social media pages will know that back in February of this year, February of 2022, my uncle was vaccinated against our family's wishes. My uncle has been living with uh, dementia for the past few years, but prior to that, he had a heart condition. He also had um, asthma, and he had diabetes, which he's been living with for over 30 years, and he was living comfortably with all his different medications that he took for that. But back in February... Without our family knowing, especially my mum and old mum, who were his carers and his next of kin and the ones that, you know, had to give consent if you were going to put any other foreign uh, objects into his body or, you know, untested, untried sort of uh, poison that no one's ever had before. Back in February, they jabbed him. And on the day they jabbed him, he had an allergic reaction to it. He had a bad reaction to it. He went home and he fell over. And his, his, for, for 48 hours, he was lying on the floor in his little flat up there in Dumaji. And my mother started getting worried about him. So this was on a Friday they jabbed him. On a Sunday morning, so Saturday he was laying there. My mum and my family turned up to find him laying there on the ground after having a bad reaction to this jab in a, in a pool of wee um, in his own spit and barely alive. He was flown out immediately by the Royal Flying Doctor Service to Mount Isa, where he was placed in ICU in the intensive care unit in the Mount Isa based hospital. And if you watched any of my social media, you would have seen that 
I, I went at it pretty hard and I was really angry at the system for what they did to my uncle. And I went at the, the Mount Isa Base Hospital. I went at Gigi Healing. And the head of Gigi Healing at the time, young Marjid Page, rang me and said, don't worry, brother, we're going to sort this out. We're going to find out who jabbed him and blah, 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 blah. I haven't heard from Marjid lately, but back then he was trying to support and help. But he's part of the system too. And I'm not going to point fingers at any one person. It was it was everybody that was involved. And it was the system that was involved. It was the health system. It was the Queensland Health. It's the government. It's where it's all coming from. It's coming from the top. So I'm not going to, you know, blame and point someone, point uh, throw someone under the bus down there. But back in February, I knew then that I'd lost my uncle. I knew that I wasn't going to get him back. And I was talking to him on the phone quite a bit while he was in the hospital. And I wasn't allowed to go and visit him because... I'm unjabbed. I'm un, I'm I'm unvaccinated, and I and I and I choose not to because that's my right as a human being, and I will never get vaccinated. Never, not from what I've seen it done to my people. What I've seen happen. We've had 28 heart attacks in Dumaji over the last eight months, nine months in February, and it's it's very very telling. The evidence is overwhelming, and if you don't have to believe me, just go and go and check the facts. Go and look at the records from the Dumaji Hospital. Go and look at the records from Dumaji. How much people has died from heart attacks? over the last 12 months, and and the truth will, will tell you, the, the, the numbers, the reports will tell you, the evidence is there, it's overwhelming. So my uncle spent about a month in uh, Mount Isa recovering from the reaction he had to the jab that he got in Feb, and he was never the same again. He came back, he was back on his medications back in Dumaji, but he wasn't well, and um, he was there for his big sister when she died, Mum Estelle, old mum, back in July, and it was two or three weeks later when I believe, probably, not I believe, I know, it was from the effects of, uh, of the jab that he got, but also probably from a broken heart, losing his big sister. He had a massive heart attack. Um, he drove his car from his place, having a heart attack, down to my brother Terence George and, and his wife Weenie, where they, he fell out of the car holding his chest, and they jumped in the car and got him up to the hospital, Oh, they might have called an ambulance. I don't know exactly what happened. They then called me from the hospital telling me that uncle had another heart attack and, and he wasn't well and they had him there and they stabilized him. They then called me about 30 minutes later saying and crying, going, really sad to tell you, but your uncle's just had a massive heart attack and died. And apparently he died alone because the nurses and doctors asked my brother and his wife and our family to leave the room and didn't want anybody in there with him which seems very sinister to me and seems very cruel, again, to let someone die alone without anyone there to hold their hands. My uncle was a warrior, just like his father, Stanley Dumaji, and I only wish I spent more time with him over the last eight years, and I only wish that I'd bought him the cowboy hat he always asked me for and the Aaron William boots he'd always say to me, Wongi, when are you getting me them boots? Boy, I'm still waiting for those Aaron William boots. Man, hold the ones you love close. Tell them every day you love them. Buy them those RM William boots or those cowboy hats, even if you can't afford it. Do the things you wish you could do when they're gone because who knows tomorrow they could be gone. You know, I wish I had more time with old mom. I wish Uncle Jonathan was still around. But I also am thankful for the time I did get with them. And I'm honoured that they are my blood relatives. I'm very honoured that on Saturday, on, well, I'll say this, on the 20, sorry, the 19th of November, 2022, I'll be burying my uncle in Normanton, Queensland, beside his father, the warrior, Stanley Dumaji. And it just so happens that on the 19th of November is the same day that Cameron Dumaji died in police custody on Palm Island in 2004. So it's a very significant day that his uncle, his his dad, Jonathan Wayne Dumaji, will be buried beside his granddad and hopefully be sitting up there. Not hopefully, I know. He's sitting around the campfire with 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 Cameron Murini Dumaji right now. Jonathan and his big brother Arthur Dumaji laughing, joking, telling stories playing their John Fogarty, playing Centerfield, playing the old man down the road, playing rock and roll girls. I saw it on TV, all those songs I grew up with, and definitely playing his old Conway Twitty music, definitely playing 
his old Conway Tweedy and Loretta Lynn music. That's all I got to say about my Uncle Jonathan. He was a legend. Grumpy, they called him before he passed away. That was his, that was his nickname. The grandkids called him Grumpy. We called him Grumpy. I got to tell you, back in the 80s, he was a community policeman for a bit. And me and my brothers, we called him, we named him after Buford T. Justice. Remember the movie Smokey and the Bandit with Burt Reynolds in? That's who we called him because he was so grumpy and cheeky. He reminded us of Buford T. Justice. Anyway, I'm going to say Maragani to you more because I got to go and keep packing because I got a long drive over the next couple of days to get to Norman and to put away, go and bury my uncle and send him home to the dream time in a proper ceremony, law way. I'm going to leave you with a song from Coloured Stone who will be performing for us. All of us mob up there next week. Here's one of my favourite songs from them. I'm going to play this for my uncle. This is Waiting for the Tide. You take care. Maragani! Maragani! I'll see you soon, my uncle. John Wayne Dumuji, you're a legend. Mahal Cowboy, see you soon, man.